Greetings, everyone. I'm Declassified Dave, one-third of the Hush Hush Society Conspiracy Hour podcast, and you're listening to Infinite Rabbit Hole. Last week on Infinite Rabbit Hole. He mentions many other very interesting features about the man in ice, such as the head was set deep into its shoulders, which is a common feature spotted in many Bigfoot sightings. In fact, his neck and throat seem to be swollen due to a possible goiter or the presence of a, of a vocal sac commonly found in other primates. One of the main reasons here that this is so easily played off as a hoax is because so little evidence actually exists of this. I'm sure everybody listening, you know, has the same thought as mm-hmm. me when it comes to intelligence agencies, you know, they, they do funny things. There was never permission given to anybody to take materials away from the Iceman, no matter whether it was the fake one or what was considered to be the real one. Jeff's right. There's way too many origin stories happening at once for this to all make complete sense. But I don't know. I don't know. I'm very 50-50 right now. This thing would be stuffed and hung in front of the Smithsonian Museum to display to everybody, this is the missing link. Jake has just made a very good point, and I back that up 100%. This would have been put right at the front door of the Smithsonian. And on top of that, the guy who said that this is an important find as part of some royal society uh, institution. No, no, no. I'm changing my mind again. This thing was fake. To me, it just sounds right now, it sounds like he committed a murder tried to cover it up and con everybody and got too many people involved if he did have the very first body of a bigfoot ever discovered or ever taken rather i mean he could be the richest person on earth (laughs) just like there's no reason to then go into all these great lengths to cover this whole thing up my whole thing is okay uh sounds great sounds like you got the forensic I'll just call it the forensic evidence of this thing being shot, beaten, right, or whatever. Fine. How come Frank can't just stick to that story? I'm going to go ahead and jump to my final thoughts already, uh, halfway through the first episode, and just say that this was a Bigfoot. Infinite Rabbit Hole. Welcome back to the Infinite Rabbit Hole. I am your host, Jeremy, and today we're going to dive into part two of the Minnesota Iceman story. We're going to continue it. We had to get it in before I moved. Episode 99, everybody. You guys ready? All at once. Go ahead. Ready. Born yeah. Ready. Let's do it. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, a lot of news. A lot of news going on. Woo. Man, let's uh let's just touch base here real quick, and uh, I'll eat. I'll ask each one of you a topic, right? So we'll start with Jeffrey. Jeffrey, what do you think about CERN, man? You want my you want the full thing, or you just want like the nutshell version? <laughs> no, I want I want the crazy tinfoil hat nut job explanation. Okay, so CERN, in under two minutes. Okay, so <laughs> they right, my favorite they, term yeah. they 
have been using, let's just call it the project looking glass technology, right? To look into not only the future, but alternate realities as well. And they are using CERN to try to merge another parallel universe where they have full control into this reality so that they have full control in this reality. And in doing so, they are jacking shit up. The head of CERN came out once and said that they are literally peering into other dimensions and bringing back data into ours. So shenanigans, bro. The logo of CERN is 666. They got a statue of Shiva, the goddess of destruction and death at the front. The whole Gothard base tunnel uh, ceremony was oh all my gosh, that was so demonic. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, bro. They're into it, man. They are merging realities. It's happening. Jeez. Crazy shit, dude. Kid, let's go What's to that? your neck of the woods. Something that just came out today. Uh, just, just so everyone kind of knows that we're recording this on 7-7, July 7th. So this could have already came out as either fake news or real, and the whole world could be talking about it. We could have already done a, 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 an emergency episode on it. Who knows? But somebody seems to have found a primate skull right in your little uh, home province there. How do you feel yeah. about this? Uh, I think that's really cool, actually. Um, as I was saying earlier, BC is mostly rainforest. Um, so it would make sense that there's a primate, or that there could be a primate walking around in, in the rainforest. So I think that's super cool and super exciting. And I really hope that something cool comes out of it. Yeah, it's uh, Coyote Peterson. Um, yeah. He does stuff like gets, gets stung by bees and bit by ants and then he does a whole bunch of uh crocodile dundee stuff which is pretty yep. cool um <laughs> he doesn't seem like a hoaxer that's the thing is like the guy <laughs> seems like a legit guy i mean I've, I've seen some of his stuff he doesn't seem like he'd go out and hoax but there's you know you can't ever say never yeah you know yeah i know of his name i just don't know a whole lot about him so can't can't speak to that but i'm i'm fingers crossed really hoping something cool comes out of this and something legit comes out of it i agree i do anyways moving on yeah Jakob. Mm-hmm. so i was gonna i was gonna talk to you about the green skies in south dakota but i was like eh, there's nothing really to talk about there probably yeah, just the skies are pretty green so pretty pretty green yeah, but um, a few weeks ago we had some pretty interesting UFOs over in uh, San Diego. Pretty, uh, pretty close to you, huh? I mean, I guess you guess. <laughs> I guess they were UFOs. I mean, look, I have seen what for a second I thought were UFOs. Right, same sort of situation as that, like two, three, four type patterns falling in a uniform you know or like they look like they're kind of staying in midair and stuff until they went out and then we could see another one start and, another, and we start and then we found out that they're flare testing and they're just hanging on little little you know parachutes just suspended mm-hmm. and they they're falling so slowly that they look like they're just staying there especially against a black sky you can't really judge you know exactly distance and height and all that stuff it's just so I'm you're not on team, team flair for this one huh i think that the brainwashing is going swimmingly well Ooh. so let's oh, take man. a second to talk about this swimmingly do you believe well. that the that ufos and alien contact is becoming normalized i think this oh, is uh so normalized jeff will go 
completely ballistic on this, but it's just absolutely normalized that anything now that's strange, people are automatically attributing to aliens. Yeah. Like the the watchers from the Book of Enoch are about to show up and say that they're aliens and everyone's immediately going to be like, you're right. Mm-hmm. No demonic activity here. These are the aliens. The question uh, here though, to help us is why. Just saying. <laughs> well, the, the question is why? 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 Oh, do you think why? Yeah, yeah. Um, probably because we're about to come under the under the banner of the one world government and the rise of the Antichrist, and Book of Revelation is going to come through, and it has to get really bad. I don't think that we're at a point right now where all of the nations on Earth would come under one banner. It would have to get incredibly bad because we're just so opposing. There's too many countries that hate each other. But for the entire world to come under one system, it would have to be so bad, like everyone's people are starving to death. There's no power, like, you know, third world countries everywhere, just like absolute chaos. And then one nation or one person out of that nation rises up to save everybody. Um, and that's all, you know, we're, we'll get into an episode. I know Jeremy wants me to do one. He wants me to do a uh, uh, Matthew 24, you know, Jesus talking about uh, the end of days type episode. And I, I did find all my notes for that, so I can go back through there and, you know, and spruce it up for the time that we're at now, since that was a year ago when I put that out on uh, Phil's show. But we'll get into all that. It'll be interesting. Right on. Yeah. So uh, one last thing to say is that uh, I did it in celebration of this possible biggest news ever, Bigfoot stuff coming out from BC, is I wore myself a Bigfoot t-shirt. Uh, undefeated uh, hide-and-go-seek champion. And then let's see, uh, Kenzar and Jacob also wore some Bigfoot, infinite rabbit hole Bigfoot t-shirts today. I don't know if it's because of the news that came out, but uh, yes. it's probably more of a coincidence. The, the nippless tee on this one. This one ha- does not have nipples. And yeah. I heard that episode 100, you will be wearing the nipple one. Yeah, weird, weird recording schedule, but... The one I was recording, where we recorded in episode 100, I'm wearing this version where uh, Kieran, Kenzar's husband, requested this t-shirt, but with big, giant, saggy pepperoni nipples. <laughs> and I don't think he said saggy, but I'm adding that in there because I... Uh, guy is just going to forever yeah. be known as the pepperoni nipple guy oh, now. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Nipple tease. So I apologize, uh, babe. <laughs> no, that's a, that, I, w- I wouldn't mind a, a nickname like Nipples. You know, I knew and, a guy. Uh, that, I knew a guy. His name was Ariola. We called him Nipples. Nice. Yeah. His last name was Ariola. Ah, okay. Well, just so that he <laughs> doesn't uh, feel left out, Jeff is also wearing a shirt. I yeah. am wearing a shirt. I normally wear shirts. Uh, <laughs> it is a normal part of my daily activity, but I'm wearing the red pill, blue pill, Matrix Infinite Rabbit Hole shirt because uh, it's the only one I have. And we live in a simulation, so. In fact, I had to buy that for him. He uh, <laughs> he, he does not uh, he does not support the show whatsoever. He's got a ton of shadow band stuff, uh, uh, but infinite nope. rabbit hole stuff. Nope, I have three things from my own show. Mm-hmm. Um, three hundred percent more things from your show. Than <laughs> no, no, I bought a neck, I bought an infinite rabbit hole neck gator. Oh, he did. Oh, yeah, he yeah, did. yeah. He yeah, did get buy wrecked. Me, get, get wrecked. Get wrecked. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Wrecked, so, uh, you guys ready? Ice oh, Man yeah. Part Two. 
Yep. Yippers. Does anybody need any uh, recap or anything? I don't have one, but I can maybe answer some questions from episode one. No. Uh, yeah. What was that guy's name? That's full of shit. Yeah, that's Frank. a great question. What What's his name again? Frank Hansen. Frank Hansen. Okay, I'll remember that. The Hansen brother. We'll, we're good. Okay. So where where were we at when we left off? And we, we have another off? another unnamed man still too. Um, when we left off, like. Because the only thing that really, like, I remember wholeheartedly was that this thing was probably real because of the ballistics and all sorts of stuff. Because we got really big into that, or I did. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, but I can't remember where it was when we left off. Let's see. Uh, the we're last t- thing I read off was. And we can uh, cut this out, but. No, it's fine. J. Edgar Hoover, Smithsonian, just, just more stuff about oh, the Smithsonian. Oh, the Smithsonian dismissed it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They said it was a fake. Yep. Because they say everything's a fake. All right, guys. So we're going to jump right into the juice of the episode. Probably one of the highlights. I mean, we got some good stuff, but this is this is what we've all been waiting for. Hanson's story about how he shot a Bigfoot. Let's go. So let's jump in. All right. Let's do it. This section I titled Hanson shot a Bigfoot. Dang, dude. I know, right? I went far with that one. That's slick. In July of 1970, Hansen wrote an article that was published by the magazine Saga entitled, I Killed the Ape-Man Creature of Whiteface. In this article, Hansen outlined how his squadron was posted in the wooded and swampy area of Whiteface Reservoir, just 60 miles north of Duluth, Minnesota. He and three other men from his squadron, Major Lou Schott, Lieutenant Roy Fed, Afed, and Lieutenant Dave Allison organized a hunting party and no action was achieved until the second day of the trip. At dawn on the second day, Hansen claims to have shot a doe with his nine with his eight millimeter Mauser and tracked the wounded animal for an hour before coming across three large hairy creatures that he first thought were bears tearing into the doe that he shot. In his article, he added descriptions of how there were two surrounding the carcass and scooping handfuls of blood from the dead animal into their mouths and how the third one was standing watch and spotted him first. This one, obviously a male, attacked Hansen, and he fired a shot and hit the creature. He would shoot the creature a second time and run away after he realized that the other two were gone. He eventually collapsed in in a nearby swamp and lost track of time as he replayed the incident in his head and envisioned the man-like creature lying dead next to the body of the deer. He eventually came or he eventually made it back to camp and never told anyone about the incident. A month later, he still couldn't get the creature out of his mind and believed that he had killed an escaped gorilla or possibly a man in a ghillie suit. So in order to free his mind and answer his questions, he returned to the spot with his dog on December 3rd, 1960, just after a fresh layer of snow had fallen. After a while of searching, Hansen claimed to have tripped over the corpse and believed that what he killed a month ago was no man or gorilla, but rather some sort of mutant man-ape thing. He claimed that whatever it was, nothing was eating or removed from the body, and it was unnaturally preserved. Whereas the dead deer next to it had almost nothing left of it. 
Hansen felt that the only thing to do was to take the body with him, as the ground was too hard and frozen to dig a grave in, and leaving it there would no doubt lead to another hunter discovering the body and calling the police, who would eventually discover that he had been the one to kill it, and he did not want to risk it being a man. The next day, he came back and chiseled it away from the frozen ground and loaded it onto his swamp buggy, and returned to his home under the mask of nighttime. Here, he had informed his wife, Irene, of what happened, and they came up with a plan to store it in the chest freezer they had in their basement. So on the next Saturday, or on the next Sunday, after their children had headed to bed, the two Hansons brought the creature into their basement, where they laid the body next to the freezer until the kids had left for school the next morning, and when they would, and then they would somehow get it into the chest. The following morning, a horrible smell had filled the house. This forced the couple's hand quicker than they wanted, and eventually got the creature to fit after bending and breaking a few limbs. The original plan was to keep it in the freezer until spring, and bury it after the ground had defrosted. This eventually changed, and Hansen instead wanted to keep it to learn more about what it was. Four years later, on a move to Rolling Stone, Minnesota, Hansen retired from the Air Force and quickly became bored with life. He filled his plethora of free time reading and eventually getting hooked on books about cryptozoology, I'm sorry, about the cryptozoology darling, the abominable snowman. Hansen began to wonder if the creature had he had in his freezer was one of these snowmen, or at least a close cousin. Soon after his retirement, Hansen began showcasing a friend's prized motorized John Deere tractor from 1916. This led him to start thinking about exhibiting the frozen creature in his chest freezer, which would pay more than the tractor job because he would get all of the proceeds. But after a quick conversation with his lawyer, he was advised that doing so without the proper preparation could mean time in prison for murder. This created the opportunity for the fabrication of the fake Iceman. The plan would be to have one created, document the creation of it with pictures, receipts, and costume artists who would vouch for the creation. He would show off the original as it was very convincing and had all of the effects like blood and bones and would yield the most attraction and money. But he would swap it out for the fake if the authorities or scientists were to take interest. The process cost tens of thousands of dollars in all, especially after Hansen enlisted the help of many high-profile Hollywood artists, including Bud Westmore, who was in charge of the makeup department of the Universal Studios, Howard Ball, who worked on life-size fiberglass recreated animals and most famous for his work recreating the animals from the fossils in the La Brea Tar Pits, and Pete and Betty Carroll of the Hollywood Wax Museum. Ball would create the copy, the Carrolls would place hairs and details on the body, and Westmore would overlook the entire process. So what do you guys think of that explanation by Hanson? First off, I just want to say that he did not go back a month later and find this thing in the condition that we were told it was in before. I don't know if you guys have ever seen those videos, like time-lapse videos of yep. carcasses decomposing. There wouldn't be very much left in a month. I also agree. Um, okay, so I have seen time-lapse videos of like a deer carcass in like a deciduous uh, springtime or fall time um, where it takes about a week, two weeks tops before you can't even see it. 
right? The these carcasses are staked down to to help prevent from big critters pulling the entire thing away. But even without the big creatures pulling large chunks of this animal away, it's still gone in about a week. I mean, I'm talking bones yeah, covered by leaves. Yeah, bacteria doesn't care. <laughs> yeah, I mean, flies, mm-hmm. birds, other, you know, skunks and shit like that. It's gone. The only thing that makes sense is that it was wintertime. It was November into December in uh, northern Minnesota. I'm just kind of grasping for straws here. Um, but this was his his words as to what the official story was uh, when it was all said and done. This is what he claimed was the true story. I also because... want to say that he... Oh, I'm sorry, but real quick, Go he didn't it. tell anybody. He went back to camp and didn't say anything to anybody. Bullshit. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. Um, not like... Not to mention... <sighs> Just because it's winter doesn't mean that this thing's not going to decompose even a little bit, right? Mm -hmm. So, like, to me, it sounds like he came back and it was in perfect condition. Impossible. Absolutely impossible. There's no way that was in 100% perfect condition, despite the fact that it's winter. Uh, Another thing that I latched on to was the freezer thing. Plans on keeping it in his freezer for years, no, nope. That house is gonna smell so bad, no matter what. Like, I, I have a hard time buying that one. I agree. So I agree. bad. Like, I can only. Ugh, ugh. I'm, I'm probably gonna reiterate everyone's <clears throat> opinions, but you know, it is true. All right, that say like hunters in the northern states when it's at winter time, right? It is possible that if you shoot your deer, your elk or whatever, and say like, you know, this is fairly, I would say, common practice. Say it's getting dark. Instead of going out and tracking a, a, an animal at night and then bringing it home, if it's if it's cold enough outside, they'll do it the next day. Or say like they're cleaning the animal and it gets, you know, just temperatures drop, it gets dark. They will leave the animal, but there's always a risk of, predators going in there and scavenging the animal right sometimes people will go back to their kills whatever it may be a moose a a a buck a um, elk or whatever it is and there's parts of it ripped off because wolves come in there foxes like you were saying all these different animals right because not every animal hibernates in the winter time right um maybe bears unless it's a, a bear that got really late into its foraging and stuff and it's still kind of awake but also, I, I agree that there's no perfect preservation because even these bodies that they're recovering from the top of Mount Everest, where it's just always covered in snow, are decayed and deteriorated and all kinds of stuff. And some of them are bones, right? It's just, it can't, unless it's like, you know, in the, what is it, absolute zero or something like that, where everything stops and there's no bacteria, like something is always going to eat something else. And in this circumstance, birds would eat it. Like even if it's frozen, birds will eat it, you know, or get a good shot at it. You know, wolves will come and gnaw on it and all kinds of stuff. There's no 
if we are looking at Sasquatch as the way that, you know, most people do is that it's an animal. There's no mystic powers to it or anything like that. You know, the the other animals aren't just going to come and eat it in the same way your cat's not going to not eat your face when you die just because, you know, you're its owner. It doesn't care. (laughs) You're, you're made of meat and they eat meat. So (laughs) that's the way it goes. But yeah, I think that the origin story is complete crap and falsified and made up. And I'm really curious about what the actual story is. I have no doubt that, you know, maybe he shot it, but this, you know, this ridiculous story that he's coming up with as a way to kind of like get around whatever, it's just like, why? Just come out with it. You know, I mean, you, I think that you'd be more concerned that it was a person wearing like a fur suit or a ghillie suit within the first few minutes of shooting it. But upon walking up to it and getting the opportunity to like put it in a freezer, you'd realize, well, this isn't a ghillie suit. This is fur or this is hair. This isn't a human, you know, all that sort of stuff. I don't think it takes a a massively intelligent person to realize the difference between a, a massive ape and a human being. Right, we might have fingers and toes and arms and legs and a head and ears and all that stuff, but we look different, you know. So I think that the this story is complete horse crap. Um, but did he shoot it? I don't you know. Why not? You know, hmm. I'm sure you'll get into it. I do. We'll get into well, it. You better. You, you well, better. Well, then that now that we have everyone's thoughts, feelings, and concerns out of the way, let's uh let's continue. This one's called Nosy Huevelman. Hansen began touring with the false Iceman, first to gain the trust in the carny and show circuits that the Iceman was, in fact, a fake. And as expected, this yielded very little money and almost no repeat visitors. After the first year, Hansen swapped the fake out for the original, and revenue began pouring in. Many researchers made repeat visits, but never asked about the true origin of the Iceman. Hansen said he thought it was mostly due to the Carney environment. This pattern was broken when he was approached by a Professor Mural of the Anthropology Department of the University of Minnesota, who offered a rather large amount of money for the specimen for the university. This was the first time that Hansen turned down an attempt from scientists to purchase the Iceman, and Professor Mural never bothered Hansen again. Everything was going great until Huebelman and Sanderson showed up in December of the same year, but things didn't get too far out of hand until Huebelman published his paper at this time. Hansen wrote in the same article that calls poured in from London, Tokyo, Berlin, Rome, and scores of American cities. This is also when the Smithsonian became interested in the Iceman. An article in the Detroit news newspaper was even quoted as saying, if the body is that of a human being, there is the question of who shot him and whether any crime was committed. This led to not only many scientific organizations requesting samples of blood and tissue, but authorities knocking on his door. Before everything got too hot, Hansen slightly defrosted the original, removed the straps he had hidden under the block of ice, and wrenched the original Iceman from the esophagus and stored it in a secret location and brought in the fake Iceman and refroze it in the same coffin that the original was in just days prior. Hansen stepped away from the circuit while investigations took place and returned once again months later with the fake Iceman 
now on display, and the authorities in the Smithsonian convinced that the fake was in the freezer all along. Hansen finished his article with the only condition he had in regards to finally giving up the original for scientific study, and that was complete amnesty, and claiming that without such, this article does not stand as a confession in any way, and that if asked without federally official papers regarding his amnesty, he will refuse all things stated in this article as it is not under oath in any way, and could and will be regarded by himself as a work of fiction for entertainment purposes only. Amnesty never came for Hansen, so the mystery has never been solved. Well, at least officially. Baloney. <laughs> Baloney, bro. You did not swap bodies, thaw them, freeze them, swap them. And investigators didn't, investigators didn't notice? Too much back and forth. Too much yeah. back and forth. Not Mouse to mention hole. the smell must have been fucking horrendous. Like, I can yeah. only imagine what this place would smell like with all the de-thawing and, and just... Uh... Dude, well, I made he... fish the other day, right? And we cleaned the fish and then threw it in a bag in the trash can and the next day it smelled yeah. like somebody's dead in my trash can. I mean, didn't they, during the initial investigation, they said that the, the trailer or whatever stank to high heaven because of the foot that was exposed, even though that the, this and maybe the seal around the top of the freezer was like faulty or whatever, but you know, they wouldn't notice all of a sudden be like, Oh, this body doesn't smell anymore. Hmm. Weird. Smells like mm. Febreze in here. Hmm. That yeah. smell's got to be like embedded in the house at that point, too. <laughs> it'd be, like it'd be ooh, living in the carpet. <laughs> you, you just got to take the house down, man. Don't even bother renovating. Just take it all down. All right. What's the stain right here? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so here's the thing, right? Here's the thing, and I, you know, kind of jumping a little, little ahead here. I do believe that there was an actual body and that there was a fake body. Okay, I do. Um. Did it happen exactly how Hansen said? Probably not. Um, but if you look at the two sets of photos from Quaveman and Sanderson compared to others from, you know, a plethora of other different researchers or even people that just showed up to see the uh, to see the exhibit, there's a clear difference. These are two different bodies inside of the tank. Could it have been two uh, fakes? Possibly. But... I'm taking Quaveman's uh, word for it and his intelligence as a anthropologist or a zoologist. Um, the man knows what he's talking about. And I, I really do believe him when he says that there was a organic body in there. Like I'm not, I don't disagree with you. And I think Jeff will agree with me in saying that I don't think it was just some Joe Schmo that swapped some bodies around. And I don't think that it was like secretly done in the night and no one noticed. I think that there was probably a gag order that was put out by the alphabet soup of some kind of agency and someone with some really dang good, like he was talking about, you know, the, the universal studios, you know, costume designers, all that sort of stuff. Like it would have to be a really very skilled person or taxidermist to pull it off. And I can't imagine that they don't have access to that sort of stuff. Now, why was it swapped? I don't know, 
but it, it would have had to have been done. It probably wasn't done in any sort of secretive way. It was probably a very threatening sort of like, this is what's going to happen. And then you're going to say that it was a fake all along, or, you know, you're going to be, you're going to be disappeared. You know, I actually yeah. have a different take on this. I actually think, uh, so you think that there was two bodies, Jeremy, because mm-hmm. the pictures obviously look like two separate things, right? However, the authorities and investigators who were there in person couldn't tell the difference between the two bodies. Their brains so, were mush. I think that they just looked at the one that was set for them, which was obviously the fake, and said, it's fake. There's yeah, one but that I don't think they even thought that there was a second body. Did they not see both? Like no, because right, like when they came, didn't he swap the bodies out one for the other? So they had he not swapped seen it out it prior beforehand. Beforehand, this was. But not why done would they in... be coming to question him if nobody had seen it the first time? Is what I'm saying. Somebody must have so seen it and been that, like, that "We got to investigate this." That was Wavelman's and Sanderson. Mm-hmm. They were the originals that saw this. They spotted it. They started writing articles and everything. They started getting the Smithsonian involved, which uh, got J. Edgar Hoover and the FBI involved uh, shortly. And once everything started getting hot, Hansen took the original out and replaced it with the fake. They had a fake built already. Um, You got to remember that Hansen had this mysterious multi-million billionaire Hollywood mogul that... I was just going to say... Yeah. Good thing he had this rich ass billionaire behind him paying for all of this crap. I this totally, unnamed guy. I totally understand where this gets sketchy. Like I, you're, I, I'm grasping at straws here by even going along with Hanson's story. Um, I, I, I clean it up in my final thoughts, and we'll get there. I promise you. Um, but there's plenty more to this story, man. So right, you fine. ready? You ready? You have more to say. <laughs> fine. <laughs> You have more to say, sir? No, no, no. I mean, you already know what I think so far. It'd be you'd be hard pressed to change my mind at this point. But I'm here. I'm here for okay. it. I got you. The dude. second the FBI got involved, they swapped the yep. bodies and threatened him. Uh, maybe, maybe. Go ahead. All right. Fact checking Hanson's story. Now, of course, there is a lot about Hanson's story that just seems fictional. The first being the corpse of the creature and how it was able to be preserved for a month before being found again in almost perfect condition. All while the deer corpse was scavenged and decomposed right next to it. This part of the story just seems off. This part of, the, of Minnesota uh, is home to many carnivores and carrion eaters such as wolves, bears, coyotes, foxes, weasels, skunks, minks, rats, and various birds and raccoons, uh, just to name a few. Another issue is the time frame and temperatures of the area. Now, it is nearly impossible now to research the exact temperatures of this particular part of Minnesota in modern times, so I didn't. Uh, But I did find that the average temperature in the area in November is 25 degrees Fahrenheit, with a common high around 50 degrees. This, of course, is well above freezing and would not be able to keep a body preserved properly. Another thing that Hoevelman's pointed out in his book is that if Hansen rediscovered the body on December 3rd, that means that in his story, the opening day of hunting that year would have been around the first week of November or the last few days of October, since he said that it was a month of thinking of the ordeal that finally forced him to go find answers. But hunting season that year opened on November 12th in the area that I was able to find. 
This would have been only three weeks, which would be more reasonable, but still far from probable to allow for the body to stay so well preserved. And one more thing in reference to the article written by Hansen in Saga, why is there absolutely no mention of the wealthy partner from Hollywood? Could this partner have been one of the people who helped him with the creation of the fake? Not likely. As the salary of one of these costume artists or display creators was not high enough to fulfill some of the tasks described in earlier mentions by Hansen. But the need for a wealthy man to be a character in the story is needed as Hansen was far from a rich man. And in order to have the fake made, estimated at $20,000 by Bud Westmore, the truck, estimated at $30,000 by Huevelmans, fuel for the truck, freezer, estimated by $5,000 by Huevelmans, entry fees, and many other expenses, uh, meant there would have to be an unknown wealthy party for any of this to take place. Next on the chopping block is the block of ice itself. Wavelman's estimated that the block of ice would be would have been easily at least 900 pounds. This would have been extremely difficult to move, but not impossible, to be honest. What does make me scratch my head is the ability of Hansen to lift the corpse from the fro- frozen ground and put it onto his swamp buggy. Then from the buggy to the back of his truck, and then with only him and his wife, they would move the corpse out of the truck into their house down to the basement before shoving it in a chest freezer. Uh, with the average beefed up adult male gorilla, five feet, 10 inches tall, weighing between 315 to 405 pounds and a man by the same height, averaging weighing only 170 ish pounds. It is safe to say that a man ape would fall somewhere between 170 to 405 pounds. And as Wavelman's put it, have you ever tried to put a bed or have you ever tried to put to bed a drunk or unconscious 225 pound man? The fact is that Hansen could not have done it alone without mechanical help. So what do you guys Just think? A couple, a couple things we're pulling from this. First of all, Hansen is a poacher because not only is he hunting outside of the hunting season, if that story is legit, but also he's shooting things that he probably isn't licensed to hunt. Um, <laughs> like people or, <laughs> or uh, you know, you know, not Jeez. licensed to hunt them like people or big feats. Um, and then also he's a, a, a dang liar. So, but yeah, look at that 600, 600 pound block of ice or 900 pound block right. of ice. So definitely put that in a body bag inside of a, a military transport and took it, you know, overseas and no one batted an eye and said, why is this guy shaped like a rectangle and weighing 900 pounds? <laughs> so, I just want to back that up a little bit. Maybe he wasn't in a block of ice when he was in a body bag. That's the only thing that I'm going to say there. Maybe he was put into ice. Remember, he said that mm. from the deduction of there being bubbles underneath the ice, the body would have had to have been submerged in water first, then adding the freezing component, which would be the freezer, would have froze from the outside in. Now, so, put- so then why is this guy inside this body bag weigh between 170 pounds to 405 pounds? This doesn't make any they, sense. They were putting more than one body sometimes in a body bag. Just throwing it out there too. All right. But don't worry. <laughs> don't worry. Now, I did do some more research into that because that was brought up last time. And... Uh, most of them during the Vietnam War were actually in coffins. 
uh, but there was a very good chunk, and we'll get into this a little bit more later. Uh, there was a very good chunk of them that were the injuries were so bad that they actually had to be tied up in the trash bags before being placed in the coffin. Um, well, that's trash bags and coffins, but how big are these body bags? Because I've seen body bags before. I mean, there's there's been, you know, unfortunately, massive, like, you know, weather events and things like that where, you know, they're lined up and stuff. And um, they're not that big. They're big enough to put a person, maybe two people in, not, you know. I'm sure they, they make extra, extra large ones because there's some extra, extra large people out there, but still. Eh. More more inclined to believe that this thing was absolutely shot in somewhere in the Midwest, Minnesota, or whatever, by somebody than, you know, all those other stories. But yeah, this is, uh, you know, who is this wealthy investor? Who is it? Is it Mel? I, uh, <laughs> I went ahead and latched onto the temperature thing again. I had to do the conversion because I'm Canadian and, and we use Celsius up here, okay? Uh, Nerds. So like 17 degrees. With a low of, what did you say? A low of 25 degrees Fahrenheit, which is minus four Celsius. It was an average of 25. Or Yeah, so that's about minus four Celsius. And a high around 50 degrees is 10 degrees Celsius. That's really warm. That is really warm, actually. So there's no way that body didn't decompose even there's no way and then all the bears and wolves and coyotes and everything no no it just doesn't make any sense to me that there's still a body sitting there a month later no doesn't make sense so so okay go ahead jeff sorry oh i was just gonna say this section makes the most sense out of all the sections so far because it is asking all of the questions that i think we've all already asked and it basically just points out that this dude is full of it but and that that's the point of me breaking down some of those points, right? Is that it's pretty safe to say that what uh, Frank Hansen put out as his official story of him shooting a Bigfoot creature in the woods of Minnesota is bullshit. But who did it? We're going to get into this. Who? Don't worry. Because Jeremy, who? The answer to this, my personal answer, which is how I end Jeff this Bezos. No. How I end this episode. <laughs> He's the is, wealthy tycoon. Is going to come out of left field. Okay. Hillary Clinton did it. <laughs> Clinton suicided the Bigfoot. <laughs> <laughs> he, she, she made him freeze himself. Uh, that was good. Come on. All right. Go ahead, bud. You All right. It. All you. All right. Let's talk about Terry Cullen. Another question not pertaining to the saga article is the validity of Terry Cullen and his initial phone call to Ivan Sanderson uh, that got both Sanderson and Waywomans involved in the Iceman in the first place. The only time that I've mentioned Cullen in this report was early in part one and in the intro. That is because he simply does not appear anywhere else in the story of initial contact between the scientists and Hansen. If you remember from the intro, Cullen swayed Sanderson into telling Waywomans about the Iceman due to the fact that Colin was able to see the backside of the creature and told of what looked like an exit wound on the back of its head. So why is it accepted that Colin just happened to be able to convince a very stubborn Hanson to lift a 900-pound block of ice so that he can see the other side? To me, it's sketchy. 
but I cannot take credit for this idea alone. I stole this from Puebleman's, of course. So let's dive into why he believes there may be more to the story of Terry Colon and the Iceman. It is the thought of Huebelman that Hansen and Colin were better friends than originally thought, and that Hansen may have used Colin to get his attention. It was also known that Hansen had a collection of Sanderson's books, and the thought is that Sanderson was targeted due to his tendency to be slightly irrational at times because Hansen believed that this was the man with the best mix of popularity, power, and gullibility to propel Hansen's exhibit into the real money. But why would Hansen turn down so many high-valued offers? But what if it wasn't for the money? What if he wanted an honest opinion of what the Iceman really was? That's the question. What if... One of many. (laughs) Too many. So, to me, right, the reason why I wrote it that way was to kind of take everyone's mind off the money. Right. Everyone, even myself, when I'm reading this, I'm like, why would he not take the money? Right. What if it what if Hanson really wanted to know what the fuck this thing was? Right. Mm -hmm. And he was a little scared about coming forward with it because he didn't want to be, you know, he didn't want to be charged with shooting a fucking person. Um, But he still wanted to to swindle some scientists in. Maybe the gullible one, like Sanderson, who was well known for being a little on the gullible side. He was an entertainer. He was on uh, the the Tonight Show, and you know, makes sense to me, right? Maybe he had something he didn't know what it was, and he wanted answers before he made a decision about what he could do with it. I'd be hard pressed in this situation of what would I, you know, cause obviously being part of this podcast and getting so deep into Bigfoot stuff, sometimes it would be, I would absolutely want the world to know that there's a Bigfoot, but also at the same time, this would, I would be the first person to ever get a body of one. If this was the case from, you know, if I was in this position and so I would definitely want to, you know, also, probably maximize on you know monetarily on it um but yeah it's interesting like i think that my desire to show the world that they exist would outweigh my desire for money but i don't know that for for sure i like money but i also like bigfoot sounds yeah i mean you know pay off some debt but i only need (laughs) like you know a few thousand for that (laughs) i feel like Go ahead. I, Go ahead, kid. I'd be the person who wouldn't want the attention, so I would 100% be selling it off. Give give that person the crazy... Make that person look crazy instead of me, right? Like, mm-hmm. I don't want anything to do with this. I don't like the attention. I don't want to deal with people and their judgmental asses. Here, have it. You're going to give me a million bucks for it? Okay, it's yours. Sold. You'd, <laughs> you'd definitely be in a position... If this was you or anybody, any one of us to be <clears throat> getting, you know, death threats from Bigfoot enthusiasts, it would absolutely happen. No, for real. Like there's people that are like hard pressed, like they're to be observed, they're to be studied. You don't screw with them. You don't hunt them, you know, all that sort of stuff. Like there would absolutely be some people that would 
you know, sent some pretty serious threats to anybody who shot and killed a Bigfoot, even yep. if they said they didn't know what it was. They'd be like, well, what'd you think it was, a person? <laughs> like, I was out there manhunting, and here I accidentally shot a Bigfoot. <laughs> you know? I was hunting the most dangerous game. <laughs> the most dangerous game. Man. <laughs> so I think, honestly, that this guy was probably trying really hard to be like one of all of our favorite people, P.T. Barnum. And I say that, obviously, sarcastically, because that guy was a scumbag. But it sounds to me like this guy had, you know, Yet another missing link, right? And we're going to gallivant around and we're going to show them off at whatever, right? The circus. And the, it's just like, I feel like he was just trying to be the next P.T. Barnum with something that he knew was a fake, just like P.T. Barnum knew. And he was trying to pass it off as something else. When people started asking questions, he was like, oh, shit. Like, they're not supposed to be really asking these questions. This is just supposed to be a freak show attraction. And I was supposed to be famous. I don't think that the money mattered as much as the fame mattered to him for this thing hmm. okay all right i thought we, of pc burnham too actually but i don't i don't know i think this guy i think he does want to know what it is but he doesn't want to get in trouble i don't think he's quite a hoaxer like pt burnham was i don't know he sounds like he's just full of shit so I <laughs> you know <laughs> Like, cool. you ever have like that friend that just lies about everything for no reason? Oh, man. right. Yes. Yeah. Yep. That's like this guy, right? So, you know, nothing you say, like, I can't trust you anymore. You might even be telling the truth, but guess what, dude? You already lied to me too many times. Well, I take yeah. that back. I don't have any friends like that anymore. For attention, too, because people <laughs> like to do that for attention. They don't do it for anything right. else. This guy doesn't care about a million dollars, he cares about the attention. Hmm. I, I think we all know that guy, right? Yeah. I mean, that's pretty, right? that's pretty, yeah, exactly. That's pretty safe to say. And Hanson yeah. does kind of seem like that guy. Mm. All right, I like it. We have a couple different points of views here. Good. You guys ready? Mm-hmm. All right, we're almost halfway through. I think after this next session, we're halfway through. Frosty. A man by the name of Forrest Johnson, a.k.a. Frosty, would take an interest in Hansen's story after reading his article in Saga. Frosty set out to do his own fact-checking, due to his real interest being in the two other creatures that escaped. So Frosty got in contact with Arnie Renat Jr., the son of the owner of the hunting cabin that Hansen claimed to have used with his hunting party. Arnie did in fact remember the men from the 247th Air Wing, using the cabin that winter, but laughed at the ape-man possibility. After confirming that the party did use the cabins when they said they did, Frosty then went to contact Lieutenant Dave Allison. Remember, he's one of the men in the, uh, in the four-man hunting party. Allison remembered Hansen well and confirmed that there was time that Hansen showed up to, there was a time that Hansen showed up to the camp really late and claimed that he had gotten lost. Allison added a few more tidbits about Hansen and his career as a pilot in the Air Force. One thing he said was that he was extremely weird. When Allison knew Hansen, Hansen was a 15-year captain, which was most likely unheard of. That is a very long time to be an O3. Hansen would often be teased for this and many other things. This is why nobody questioned him when, they, when he told everyone that he was lost. 
Allison had never heard of Hansen's story with the Iceman before this day, but said that if he knew anyone that would try to attempt such an act, he would point right at Hansen as the number one culprit, saying, that is just like him. Man, what a legacy. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I'm almost a 12-year E5, but I don't think anyone's talking to me like that. (laughs) I'm not that worthless. (laughs) So he he retired as an 03 at 20 years. Jeez. I know, Gosh. (laughs) Must have been really unliked. Yeah. Especially, I mean, especially in the Air Force. Jeez. Nothing? Ready to move on? I mean... Can, Can... For the dumb one over here, can you clarify what an O3 is? Jacob? It's shill talk. Basically, it's just a, a shill <laughs> third level. It's, it is a level of shillery, yes. Okay, shill cool. level. Good Basically, it's, it's an officer, but he's at his third level. So um, so there's Ensign and then Lieutenant well, Junior hold. Grade. No, that's a Navy. Well, this is Air Force. let's just talk about Navy terms. So for Navy, it'd be an ensign, it'd be 01, and then lieutenant junior grade, and then a lieutenant. And I believe that officers are in the same way as enlisted, where the first three ranks, it's just a matter of time to rank up to the next one. And then the fourth one, same thing with enlisted, is you take a test, you do a board, you know, you have to have certain qualifications. And then in the board, they decide if you're going to rank up or not. And Right now, when it comes to officers and enlisted in the military, there's things called higher tenure where you can only stay for so long in the same rank. Once you get to a certain level and you're not progressing in your career, they'll kick you out because they want that upward progression because people in the top are retiring and people on the bottom are coming in. So they need people to be raising those ranks, right? So the fact that he stayed for that long at that level means that he was either insanely disliked well, I mean, there's really no other reason around it. Either he was insanely disliked or he had zero motivation. And he was probably disliked because he just refused to do the things that he was supposed to do to make that next rank. And that's like, that's not a good... I mean, if someone's saying that, oh, this guy got lost. Yeah, that's just like this guy. You know, that's not good. That was That's a poor, you know, uh, so, way to talk to somebody. So he probably was just a real piece of crap. <laughs> But yeah, so, but a bunch of shillery. Okay. Got yeah, it. Like I said, shill level three. That's <laughs> yeah. pretty much it. So to to Thank further you. clarify the O, right? O is officer, E is enlisted. So um E E's are like the peasants, right? They do all the the yeah. work. Enlisted they make sure scum. Yeah, we're enlisted scumbags. They're the it. new yeah. apprentices. Nah, we're better than apprentices. But anyways, yeah, yeah. so wow, Jake and I yeah. are uh, well, I was. Uh, Jake is an enlisted personnel. Uh, basically, we are where the people that go out and do the hands-on work, right? Mm-hmm. We do the hands-on stuff, whereas the officers are more of in, in a managerial role um, where they fly at the planes and are the department heads. So, yeah. like, they're, they're mostly like the paper people. Um, and, <laughs> and I'm I mean, a civilian, which means I'm paying for all of this. Yeah, you're paying for the enlisted scumbag shenanigans. I'm paying for shills. I'm basically, but I'm paying. Sh- this just yeah. clicked for me. I am paying shills. Yeah. Yes. This is a problem. 
Yeah, so E's are like the low shills and O's are like the high shills. Right? So <laughs> they're all part of the same source. shill pie. <laughs> and in order to be an O, you have to go in with a four year degree or higher. Um, whereas enlisted, it's basically just stupid people. Right out of high school, GEDs, <laughs> you know. Yeah. It's like, can you count? No, you're you're perfect. Gamma, come on in. Pull <laughs> <laughs> a sponge, send them. Yeah, you ever heard of the term involuntary servitude? No? Okay, good, sign right here. <laughs> uh, I'm proud of it, though. Anyways. Yeah, me too. All right, so let's uh, <laughs> let's get rolling. Did we clear that up for you, kid? Yes, we're... Canada we're has a military, right? Yeah, but I don't know anybody in the Canadian military, so I know nothing about it. Fair enough. All right. <laughs> Let's follow the money. What mm, money? That's... Right? In Huevelman's book, Neanderthal, The Strange Saga of the Minnesota Iceman, Huevelman estimated the startup of the operation to be roughly $50,000. That only includes the cost of the truck, the fake Iceman, and the freezer. Hansen claimed that the exhibit brought in $50,000 each of the three years he had it on display. At $0.35 cents a person, this would equal 150,000 visitors a year, with a touring season for carnival and mall venues lasting for only six months of the year. That would be 25,000 visitors a month, which would be roughly 1,000 visitors a day, with one day off a week, so six days a week, leaving one day for rest, travel, tear down, and build up at new venues. With 1,000 visitors a day, with an eight-hour workday, that would be an average of 125 people an hour every single day for six months, paying 35 cents to meet what was claimed by Hansen. By Hansen's numbers, the exhibit would have totaled $150,000 over the three years. Subtract the initial cost of $50,000, which we went over in the previous section, uh, and you're left with 100000 Now add the upkeep costs, such as permits, hotels, food, fuel, insurance, high uh, vehicle maintenance, space rentals, and any other miscellaneous costs you can think of, and Huevelman's estimated this at $10,000 per year. Times that by three years and subtract another 30000 leaving Hansen with $70,000 of revenue in the three-year span, which would have been roughly $23,000 a year if his values were correctly represented. Was this enough for a married man and father of three to bring home on a yearly salary in the 60s? Honestly, with his military retirement, this would have been fine, to be honest. But where does he get the $50,000 to start the exhibit? This is where the mysterious partner would come in. And of course... Nobody is going to give up money for free. So he would have at least asked for a 50% share of the revenue, at least. This would bring the value of income from $23,000 to a mere $11,500 a year for a family of five. Is this worth it? You be the judge. He should have bumped those numbers up to $0.50 cents a, sh a showing. <laughs> right? I mean, I don't know, man. The money's not there. No. So, so he's not here for the money, man. Oh, I I totally agree. I totally, totally agree. But I think that where you think he's doing it for popularity and attention, I think he's doing it to find out what the fuck this thing is and see because I, I do think he's he's actually driven by the thought of the real money on the horizon. That's what but I then, think. 
the why real thing. De- why would he deny all of the people who wanted to actually do studies on this thing? Because he's a liar. Because he didn't want to be blamed for killing a person. But he knew it wasn't a person. If he well, that's what there's there's the thing, right? If he knew it was if he didn't know what it was and he thought it was something big and he wanted, you know, to be famous or whatever for discovering whatever it is, let's just call it a Bigfoot, right? Mm-hmm. But at the same time, he knows it's a person, so he doesn't want anybody to do tests on it. It doesn't make any sense. He either knows it's a person or it's not a person. He he denied all the tests. He hid the thing, whether it was fake or not. He tried to pull some shenanigans on people so nobody would actually see mm-hmm. it. He wouldn't give uh, who the Border Patrol or TSA or whoever the hell it was in the first episode. Mm-hmm. He wouldn't let them take a sample. Right. So he either knew it was a human or he knew it was a fake. He wasn't doing this because he thought it was some big discovery. He was just doing this for attention. In which case, if he thought that it was a person, he wouldn't be showing it to everybody. Right. Because it wouldn't be like, look at this dead body that I have of this person that I shot. Well, maybe. There are people who are not only stupid enough, but like psycho people who have done things like that before. Mm -hmm. So I can't say that that's not the case. But Also, to to kind of, you got to think of this as a point of view from a father. Right, a father and a husband. So he has to come up with some sort of revenue for his family. And yeah. while he's waiting for, you know, the actual, you know, comfortable thoughts and feelings about what this thing actually is, he needs to bring in some kind of money. And uh, I mean, I might be biased here, right? I do think that uh, I'll save it for my final thoughts because we'll get into this. I promise it gets it gets really good, dude. <laughs> I have no doubt that it gets really good, but just I, I agree with Jeff that the pushing scientists away and saying you can't examine this because I'm scared you're going to discover that I murdered a person versus showing it to everybody and their mother for money and what there was never a police officer that came up to just to look at it and be like, hmm, what's that? I mean, it just doesn't make any sense. If you think you killed a person. You're never showing this person around or this thing around, right? If you're still unsure about it, mm-hmm. I don't doubt that he may have wanted someone to be like, I've seen that before. In the same way you would, Jeremy, if someone showed you a Bigfoot, you know, a dead body, and you just had that memory from back when you were like nine or 13 or wherever, however nine. old you were, and you were like, "I this is a Sasquatch, and they had no idea, you'd be able to point that out. But in this circumstance, it's not because he's scared of the idea of it being, you know, found out to be, you know, a human being. I think it's because at this point he knows for a fact that it's a fake. And so he's pushing all the people away for whatever reason it's a fake, you know, and he's pushing all the people away because he doesn't want them to find out that it's a fake and get called a fraud. When in reality, he did at one point have a dead body of a Sasquatch. What if he's protecting his asset? Okay. So let me put you, we'll put, put all of you in, in Hanson's shoes here. Right. And let's say you have this thing. Someone offers you a million dollars and we'll even go back to a comment that you had said, Jake, mm-hmm. um, give me a blank check. Right. Yeah. So what if he's waiting for confirmation? that this is what he knows it is or thinks it is and that he thinks he can get 10, a hundred times more 
if he just waits it out and gets the confirmation he needs, right? He's not going to get that confirmation without scientists looking at it. Right. I get it. I totally get it, right? But he can up the cost if if he's more comfortable in it, right? And create some kind of bidding war. But if if he does, if he just lets the original sit there and the, the authorities come in and they either seize it or they take samples of it and whatever, is it the government's right or would the government, let's not talk about whether it's right or wrong, mm-hmm. would the government take it away? And I mean, he probably. Lose out, and he loses out on everything. But that but happens wait. to a lot of discoverers. Yeah, but we're, exactly. we're forgetting a key. We're forgetting a key point. The key point is that he doesn't actually own the thing, right? That apparently, or so, so said. So said he doesn't actually own. The thing. Okay, well, there has to be a rich man behind the curtain because we already went over the costs that he's spending. So somebody is funding him, whether it's the mm-hmm. Alphabet Soup Boys or whether it's some mogul in California. I don't or, know. But regardless, he has stated himself, not that I believe him, but he has said that he doesn't own the thing. He has to go and ask the other guy for permission to do things with this thing. So he doesn't even own it, even though he shot it. So did the rich man give him money? Did he buy it from him for a million dollars? And that's how he was able to fund all of this? I don't know. Maybe. Or maybe Hanson had his hands in some other business. Selling meth, maybe meth doesn't make you that much money. No, not meth. Have you maybe seen Breaking Bad, dude? Unless you're the cartel, you might not be too far off, my friend. Is it, was it in the cartel, kid? What do you have? She's been trying uh, to say something this whole time. You guys, been I'm yakking. really stuck on this uh, buyer, this rich billionaire that's supposedly owns the thing, doesn't own the thing. Who? Who knows, right? But I'm really stuck on this guy because if he only took 50% of the profits, which would be 11500 he didn't even make his fifty grand back. Right. Even, and even as after inv- three years. Yeah, so as, it- from an investor standpoint, that is a waste of my time. That is a waste of my money. Why the hell do I want anything to do with this? I don't want anything to do with mm-hmm. this, which makes me think, like Jeff brought up, what if, well, maybe not like what Jeff brought up, but like, what if this third party rich man, what is the original owner was the guy, but needed a scapegoat, needed a fault man and picked Hanson. Good. That could be. What if he has already sold it to the scientists and asked for in return, a really, really good prop that he could go around and make a little bit extra cash for because he's just obsessed with money or fame. Or they, you know, yeah. I think I touched on that too, actually. What if he's just a whole, what if it's just all a lie? What if this, what if, if you fell into Mel's hole, you yeah. fell into this story? Dude, what, what if Mel's hole was actually Mel's hole? Inception's <laughs> happening. <laughs> what if Mel's hole was real? I wonder I how many. This whole story was made up just to distract me from doing research on CERN right now. That's it. <laughs> That's the conspiracy. All those synchronicities. Look at us shills coming in and taking away. 
distracting me from <laughs> yeah, real we're, research. We're gaslighting Jeff. Georgia Guidestone is <laughs> crazy, so he stopped. And I'm over here it. listening to this story from one of the hands black brothers. holes about to rip the earth in half, and we're over here talking about some dumb story that doesn't exist. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's go. Let's keep going. <clears throat> Quavelman's questions in his book Neanderthal: The Strange Saga of the Minnesota Iceman. Bernard Quavelman asked 13 critical questions. In regards to those that believe the Iceman was a hoax. One, why did Hansen try to belittle it? Two, why did Hansen advertise his exhibit with such ridiculous labels? Three, why would Hansen shy away from widespread publicity? Four, why was the specimen decomposing? Five, why was Hansen so embarrassed when he detected the smell of his decomposing specimen? Six, why did Hansen reject attractive purchase offers? Seven, what problems would be avoided by creating a replica of the specimen? Eight, why did Hansen repeatedly refuse to have his specimen x-rayed? Nine, why did Hansen continue to change his cover story and finally end up denying it entirely? Ten, why did Hansen suddenly confess to having murdered this specimen? Eleven, why would Hansen demand a prior promise of amnesty? before even considering the possibility of yielding the specimen. 12. Why was the specimen decorated with wounds? 13. Why doesn't the specimen look like the traditional reconstruction of a prehistoric or fairy tale man? With these questions that Huevelman's presented, one fact sticks out. All of them can be honestly answered by a man who is hiding in an organic body that is fearful of judicial punishment. Punishments such as murder, possession of a human or non-human corpse, transporting a corpse across international and state lines, not registering a possible scientific item of great value as required for such items, and smuggling, which is a federal crime. All right, let's make this one quick because it's about to get good. No, he's just a schizophrenic. Did he say that he murdered it? Was that like the actual word that he used? Um, Waveman, as in like the question. Okay, because I mean it's like because murder applies to people. You can say <laughs> poaching or hunted or whatever it yeah, is, yeah. shot, you know, illegally harvested, <clears throat> whatever it is. But but murdered is reserved for people. So right, does Waveman know something that we don't? That this mm. is in fact just a hairy person in a suit or I, something. He does I've... talk about uh, hypertrichosis a few times in his book uh-huh. as a possibility, but he doesn't believe it. He says that without DNA evidence, you can't rule it out. Lack a better term. Exactly. Maybe. Exactly. Um, so I'm not going to answer these questions, right? Uh, but I you will tell back. you that uh, in his book, because I didn't, I didn't want to take away too much from him. I mean, he did a lot. He did a lot of really good stuff for this book. There yeah. has to be. There's a lot of stuff still in this book uh, that expands on the things that we talk about in these in this two part series. It's definitely worth a buy if you like a scientific read. This is it. But if you if you get lost in black and white, this is not a book for you. <laughs> I get the audio Danny, <laughs> Danny, there's a book for you to buy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, kid. Did you have anything else? Okay. Nope. Uh, we're good. Can we jump into the next part, guys? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
All right. I'll allow it. <laughs> Connecting more dots. Um, let me see here. Oh yeah. Okay, so this is where it gets going. This is this is my favorite part of this entire thing. This is like the second to last part, I believe. <clears throat> Since I have now laid out many different reasons as to why we can be confident that the body was organic, let's now dive into some other possibilities when it came to the Iceman's origin. And since we have talked about Hansen's story of shooting a Bigfoot creature in the woods of Minnesota already, we will go ahead and skip that story and jump into how it could have been possible for Hansen to smuggle a corpse into the United States. I am only going to point out some major details in Wavelman's research that show how this could have been done, as I don't want to take away from his hard work. This, his book is truly amazing, and his research was unparalleled. So let's start off by diving a little further into Hansen's military career and what it took to get a corpse back from Vietnam. <clears throat> Warning, the next bit of information may not be suitable for all listeners. I will be explaining various aspects of illegal activity involving drugs and dead persons. Listener discretion is advised. During the years of the Vietnam War, bodies of deceased American service members were transported back to the States by way of C-130 aircraft. In the case of an intact body, it would be embalmed after receiving military honors. Those that were in very bad shape due to the nature of the death were bagged up in a plastic bag and then sealed inside of a casket before being loaded onto an aircraft with a plaque that read, Do Not Open. These service members would unfortunately never have their coffins opened again and would receive a closed casket farewell from their family members once back in the States. During the time of the Vietnam War, America was unknowingly importing large quantities of heroin from Thailand, and it wasn't until December 16, 1972, that America would finally learn the dark truth about how this intense drug was finding its way into the streets of the U.S. In this famous case involving a civilian trucker from Castle Hayne, North Carolina, by the name of Thomas Edward Sutherland, who was detained after a military transport aircraft was diverted to Andrews Air Force Base and searched by FBI agents. Although Sutherland did not have heroin on him or in the plane, he was arrested for impersonating a service member. During the long flight from Bangkok, there were two layovers where Sutherland could have offloaded the drugs, one being Hickam Air Force Base in Honolulu, Hawaii, for 24 hours. This incident leaked details of the secret drug trade going on during the Vietnam War, how upwards of $20,000 of heroin was commonly being smuggled into the country in the body cavities of dead service members. This was a major issue for the FBI, and now the cat was out of the bag. But we're not diving into drugs. We're here to talk about the Iceman. With that being said, the most casket transportation friendly and most commonly used airport for such tasks in, the Viet in Vietnam was that of Da Nang International Airport. Da Nang was also the base of operations for the 343rd Fighter Group at the time, which is where Captain Frank Hansen was stationed during his time in the war. But how would this tie into the Iceman? Wasn't Hansen's story from Russia and China, not Vietnam? Correct. But check this out. What if he's lying? See, in Vietnam, during the Vietnam War, 
there were hundreds, thousands of reports of large, hairy, human-like apes deep in the dense rainforest of Vietnam. These apes were known or were to become known as the Vietnamese rock apes. Rock apes were reported as four to seven feet tall and covered in dense hair from head to toe, with the only areas of no hair being the underfoot, hands, face, knees, and knees in some reports. They were strong, stocky, known to throw rocks or even to return grenades thrown from American soldiers when they came across them. These things were always pissed off in the presence of American soldiers and stories of soldiers who witnessed their friends being ripped apart or having the organs ripped out of their stomachs were common amongst survivors with encounter stories. Rock apes are reported as being kind when kindness is given to them and some tribes deep in the Vietnamese jungles claim to have personal friendships with these creatures. One particular hill became so famous for the amount of rock ape sightings that it is now widely known as Monkey Mountain. But that's all we'll talk about when it comes to rock apes, but no worries. We'll, there'll be more in future episodes of Infinite Rabbit Hole. So what do you think? With the, no, with the knowledge now that there were common instances of heroin being brought into the country, by way of military aircraft, Hansen being stationed at the most common airport used for transportation of the bodies of dead service members, and the hundreds of reports from American service members of upright walking hairy hominids in the deep jungles of Vietnam. Do you think that the Iceman was really the corpse of a Vietnamese rock ape? No. <laughs> okay, go ahead. <clears throat> well... So I de obviously, you know, I'm fully aware of all of the shenanigans that were happening in Vietnam, especially with trafficking, not only drugs, but people and things like that, uh, especially from like the CIA and stuff. But um, it would it would be decomposing, right? Like, I mean, Jake has said this already, like you're not going to load an iced body onto a plane, even if dude is a pilot and he can somehow finagle a way to get it on here. Nobody asking questions, whatever we're talking a thousand pounds, right? Mm -hmm. So it's just not, it, it's not going to work, man. And then the flight from Vietnam to the States, you got to think about how long it took them to get the corpse from wherever in the jungle that they were to somewhere else. Right. And then whether they froze it or not, doesn't matter. Still going to be decomposing the flight over here, right. To get it to somewhere like, dude, you're talking a couple of days, but right? they were and embalming. I was going to yeah. say they were embalming, which means they were preserving bodies. So if they, they could have gone behind <clears throat> people's backs and embalmed this thing. Okay. It's preserved. Now, now we can take it across the border, but it was decomposing it's, later. Well, embalming is well, a, it's, forever. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's not, not a, it's, forever it's a temporary thing, thing it's, dude. I mean, things, I mean, our bodies still decompose in the caskets, you know, underground. It is, it is literally done so that they, we can have a wake and a funeral and that's it. So if a trip overseas, which takes, you know, 14 hours, I mean, from Virginia to, to Korea was 13 hours. So uh, whatever <clears throat> Vietnam to Minnesota is, but still, so, I mean, I'm, I'm, I can get behind that. But wait, which story are we, are we buying here? Are we buying that he shot it? Are we buying that he trafficked it from Vietnam? Are we buying that it was found in the Bering Sea? Like what? He shot it in Vietnam and brought it back. Uh, not necessarily that he shot it. It's Someone that he did. got it in Vietnam. Um, the Bering Sea, that's shit. We've already talked about that. We talked about the Minnesota Woods. That's bullshit. 
So basically what I did was I outlined a whole bunch of different stories that he came up with and I, I eliminated them as we go. Yeah, you know, I got I get that. But like, mm-hmm. again, these are all stories that he came up with. Right. So like we're going to throw a couple of them out because this, they're bullshit. This story right here is not something Hanson came up with. This is. Huh? I said, whatever, bro. No, Hanson did not come up with this story. This was Wavelman. Wavelman did the research. This was the gist of his book was to get into the real science. And trust me, I'm going to tie it all together, dude. I got you, bro. I love you. God, your beard is beautiful. This this (laughs) Sutherland guy, I hope he was buried underneath the jail, transporting drugs inside of service members' bodies. Yeah. It's, uh... I I think they embalmed this thing. Yeah, me too. All right, let's move on. Okay, I I was lying. We have two more parts, and then we're done. That's Gosh. including my that's including my final thoughts. You tell as many lies as this Hanson guy. <laughs> Wait, no, this is my final thoughts. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I lied. Mm-hmm. Um, are you Hanson? Right. My final thoughts. I think it would come to no surprise to anyone. I think that the Minnesota Iceman was a Sasquatch-esque creature. I have gone over many different possibilities that it could have been. One, being an ancient man from a prehistoric time frame, whether it was from thousands of years ago or a single member of a lost tribe. But I couldn't get over one question. Hansen was attempting to portray a Neanderthal-like man. Why then did he not have it created in the image of a stereotypical Neanderthal? When we think of caveman, we think of mild-haired, thick-browed, brute-like humans. I think that Hansen would have done himself a disservice to not appeal to the stereotype when he had a hoaxed Iceman created. This would have, for some, or for sure, tricked the masses, and in early years of such interest, such a thing would have certainly fooled the masses. Instead, that was presented, what was presented to those who paid the fee to enter the refrigerated trailer was something completely different something that most people would never recognize. Also during this time frame, we saw the creation of the blockbuster movie, Planet of the Apes, which was filmed from May 21st to August 10th, 1967, that cost a whopping total of $5.8 million at the time. And if you ever saw that movie, you know that the technology in Hollywood costume making just wasn't up to par with the amount of detail that was noted in Waywoman and Sanderson. So I also was able to cross off the idea that the original was a Hollywood fake. Then I read a few lines in Wayman's book that really sealed the deal for me. He discussed the idea that it was the was a body that was smuggled in. Why wouldn't Hansen and his mysterious partner sell for money that surpassed a million dollars at one point? You would think that taking the money and spending a few years in prison might even be worth it to some people, especially if you know that when you get out, there will be a lot of money waiting for you. But... What if Hansen wasn't an idiot? What if he and his partner knew exactly what they had? And that and what if the sale of the most important find in the history of cryptozoology wasn't really sold or forcefully sold as an eminent domain type move by the Smithsonian? My personal opinion is that there was a sale. During the downtime between when the original appeared and the fake took the main stage. This would have allowed for the proper and secure transport of the Iceman 
and a replacement to be made by the Smithsonian so that Hansen can continue his Carney-style exhibit and further bury the truth. It is also my belief that this creature was not an upright walking hominid from North America. I think the Iceman was a rock ape from Vietnam. I believe that whether Hansen knew it or not, he smuggled, either directly or indirectly, a corpse of a rock ape into America in a coffin labeled Do Not Open, and was never touched out of respect for the perceived dead soldier believed to be inside. This could have been done easily if Hansen was either in on the drug trade, there it is, or knew his men that were in the drug trade. For the former, it would be as simple as requesting that the body be embalmed and bagged. For the latter, a simple threat or blackmail to get his prize. After all of my research, I only want to make one thing clear. No matter what the current narrative is, when it comes to the quote-unquote debunked videos of Bigfoot on Facebook, or an article that claims that someone knew the personal person who quote-unquote faked a famous picture, it always helps to dig a little further than the comment section and follow suit with, with other sheep. And this is why I believe that the Minnesota Iceman was more than a hoax and will always be more than what is left in black and white on Wikipedia. Uh, you saying you don't trust Wikipedia? What? I didn't say Gasp. that directly. Gasp. 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 All right. Dare so, you. I think that this was a rocket killed in Vietnam by a soldier. Whether it was Hansen or not, um, Hansen saw what what it was. You know, maybe this thing was transported or whatever. He got a hold of it. I think he was in on the drug trade. Uh, I think he had a lot of money stored aside from the drug trade. This was a very, very big thing in the 70s. Okay. The amount of drugs, opium, opioid type drugs that were coming in from Southeast Asia was insane. I mean, I, even the CIA was known to be in on it. Like they were getting their own cuts from this shit. Um, it was well, still bad. probably are. <laughs> No, I know. I, I mean, it it would have been extremely easy to get this this creature into the into the country. Okay, if 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 Hansen knew what this thing was, and he had the brain cells to say this could make me a lot of fucking money, he could have had this thing smuggled in and then frozen. I mean, obviously had him had been embalmed. Uh, shipped over, frozen, boom. Then he he made a real sale to the Smithsonian, or uh, the Smithsonian took it because you are supposed to report or uh, what's the what's the word? Um, um, you have to um register it. Okay, you have to register things of major scientific importance or major value in money. Okay, it has to be registered with the U.S. government, um, and that would have been a loan enough for the Smithsonian to come in and take it away. Okay, so there was some kind of deal made between Hanson and the Smithsonian. The Smithsonian took the original, replaced it with a Hollywood-made dummy. Okay, the dummy came in. Build the spot of the original. Hansen went on his merry way. 
the original or the dummy, the second version is now on um on display in a Texas museum. You said the original? No, no, the the dummy. The dummy. So but why would the Smithsonian care to make a because legally it was as much as I as much as I don't like it, legally Mm they can just confiscate it. They don't have to cut any sort of a deal. They could just say, you know, either we'll take it, you're, you'll give it to us, or we'll take it and you'll go to prison. You know, there's just like, because so the I, federal government has their fingers in every single thing I, that I they thought possibly about that. can. I thought about that, right? But the CIA was heavy into the drug trade during the Vietnam War, okay? So what if yeah. Hansen was working with, with CIA agents or or had some sort of, knowledge between maybe he was working with the cia giving them a cut of everything that he brought into the states he said hey i'll blow the fucking lid off this shit or you can give me a fucking dummy and a decent nope. price for this no they would have just killed him yep you think so oh yeah 100 yep. percent. i mean yeah, you're not gonna okay you don't blackmail the cia when they're doing their black budget secret operations you just no. big big government corporation big government Whatever the hell you want to call it, one person. Uh, yeah, that's just, that's a pretty easy. I mean, Hanson was even easy decision. He wasn't even me. liked by his peers. If he went missing, people would have been like, "Good, I'm glad he's gone." Like <laughs> just like you know, his, he was the most his plane would have crashed, dude. Yeah, he was easy. such a drifter at that point. I, I mean, okay, I can see it. Look, I don't doubt the smuggling thing and all that sort of stuff. But it's just like it's so weird that that this dummy would have been made because even even if the dummy hadn't been made and, you know, maybe he wasn't working for the CIA. I mean, that adds just another layer to this to this pie. But let's just say that he wasn't. And the Smithsonian, you you find a Bigfoot, the Smithsonian takes it from you. You know, you could go around every day for the rest of your life and say, I found the carcass of Sasquatch and the Smithsonian took it from me and like 10 people would believe you. Right. You know, and it just like, cause most people would be like, why would the Smithsonian do that? Why would they lie about this? You know, they, no one would believe you anyway. And you know, this idea of like making this dummy so that it, it can, for what purpose, you know, cause then that would, put eyes on the smithsonian and be okay. like where's the original i mean i i can so, agree that this thing was a creature that existed at one point and a, 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 a dummy replaced it okay but there's so many weird well mel's whole type like <laughs> you know sh- offshoots for this story that just don't make any sense which in some ways could be planned out to make it just so difficult to research this because it goes in so many different directions and there's so many theories and like you know dead ends and all kinds of stuff that you just get lost in this research of just looking for nothing right you know now it's so weird it's such a weird story okay whether or not the cia or the smithsonian made the fake Mm -hmm. i mean if if hansen was in on the smuggling he was making major fucking money sure yeah the dude had some jars dug or buried in the backyard or underneath his mattress or something. And I mean, he easily could have had a fake made 
and continued his exhibit. He is, he is the unnamed That's California man. Right. He's making all the decisions himself, right? He's the Good heroin day. king of Vietnam, yeah. Well, I don't think he was I don't think he was that <laughs> yeah. high up, but no, he but... was definitely in on the transportation of, of fucking drugs. Say he utilized say the Smithsonian because stole it from him and then he utilized an... the money to make a fake. Say here's the pictures. But that's another reason why he would have requested amnesty, right? He would have I mean, if you go back to those questions that Waveman asked, there was a list of thirteen of them. A lot of them. All make sense if this was a biological creature. This dude did some major dumb shit or some major legal shit while he was in Vietnam. I mean, it's there. He was in Vietnam. He was stationed at that airport, the most famous or most uh, used airport for the transportation of bodies, and obviously used this airport because of how easy it was to juggle mm-hmm. smug, uh, smug, juggle smugs, smuggle yeah. drugs through, right? So there was a reason why they used it. Yeah, I'm just saying, man, makes sense to me. Well, it, it it that part makes sense. That part absolutely makes sense. Even like you know, Kenzo threw it out there, the embalming, right? We said we said it, it's not for forever. It's for you know a week, <laughs> a couple weeks. Mm-hmm. You know, the even embalmed bodies still have to be like refrigerated, I, I believe. Um, so it it would last probably just long enough to get overseas to get frozen. You know, it would still start decomposing after a while. But the weird part of the Smithsonian and all that stuff, and even if, if you know, like the Smithsonian took it, like eventually it would come out that you had done broken a federal law by smuggling a corpse cross country, you know, or something. Something would come out. I, I don't. I don't. It's it's a very compelling, weird, crazy story. I'm down with the fact that it's a that it was a Bigfoot esque creature, as you said, or Sasquatch esque creature. Um, that it came from Vietnam, that it was a rock ape or whatever. You know, that, that's totally fine with me. I, I like, I'll buy it. Um, but like everything else, it's like it's so weird. <laughs> There's so <laughs> much crap surrounding this. It's All nuts. Right. Jeff, I've cut you off enough today, man. Go ahead. I just think it's bullshit, dude. I don't think that it was a creature at all. I think it was a fake from the beginning. I think you this think guy's so, a charlatan. Really? Yeah, I think this guy's a charlatan. I think he's just looking <laughs> for attention. I can disagree with you more, man. Well, you also think space is real, so I don't know what you're <laughs> What Shots a shill. Fired. What a fucking yeah. shill. All mm-hmm. right, kid, what do you think? Um, I think that he, I like the idea that he could have been involved with the drug smuggling stuff and that's how this all worked out. And he was making a crap ton of money on the side that he wasn't putting in a bank or anything like that. So he was the unnamed California man paying for all of this. I lean, what I can confirm in my thought, thought process is there was a real body. There was whether that be human, Sasquatch, whatever, there was an organic body involved at one point. I kind of think he was a scapegoat. I think somebody else caused the problem and said, I'm going to pay you to do this. And here's 50 grand. And now go ahead. Bye. You're the one who did this. You're the one in charge. I also want to leave everybody with a, just a 
little tidbit of information here. Uh, embalming, they use the chemical formaldehyde to do mm-hmm. that. They also use formaldehyde in carpets in new vehicles, which ta- which is that new car smell. So technically, when you get in a brand new car and you're like, oh, I love that new car smell, you're smelling formaldehyde. You're smelling a dead preserved body. Just fun well, fact for what you a, all. What a dead preserved body smells like. And apparently it tastes terrible, according to my buddy. Oh. Yeah. We were doing a fetal pig in high school, and I slapped it down on the tray, and it sprayed into his face, and got in his mouth. Oh. So, <laughs> anyway, so, yeah, kid. Final thoughts. Um, final thoughts is Hanson's a scapegoat, and this thing was real at one point. Jake, I'm going to come back there, to you because I know you're going to be a longer explanation. Jeff, final thoughts. Dude's a charlatan. It was fake from the beginning. Uh, too many things that he said, just he flip-flopped too many times, uh, never bothered to have anything tested, never bothered with money. He was just literally doing it for the attention. Um, that's what I think. I think he's just full of shit. Jeff said that this was the worst series he's ever been a part of. All right, Jake. No, no, this was a good story. I liked it. I enjoyed this. Don't take your words back now, sir. No, no, no. I enjoyed it, but the guy's Mm. full of shit. Okay. Okay. All right. Jacob, final thoughts. Um, the last thing I said was my final thoughts. Um, but I do have, you know, the that it was, I can believe that it was smuggled from overseas. But it just gets so weird when it comes to, like, a fake and all kinds of stuff. Um, I do have a question, though. You know, mm-hmm. I've heard, without getting too much into the topic of the rock apes, because I've heard about these before, right? And I've heard about the stories and all that sort of stuff. But whenever I... And I'm not saying that they don't exist, but whenever I see something about finding Bigfoot or whatever, it's always people exploring the Pacific Northwest, you know, whether that's um, the United States or southern or southwestern Canada or whatever it is. They're always in that sort of area. And we've talked about population density before. And so they're basically looking for a lone Sasquatch or two Sasquatch in like, you know, whatever size their territory is. But these are so popular from Vietnam. Why aren't they flying to Vietnam? I mean, shoot, I'll go over there and film someone getting their guts ripped out by a rock ape and put it online. <laughs> you know, I mean, just like apparently there, it's there's enough of them there that it was a tremendous issue for the the soldiers that were there. You know, mm-hmm. it's like I want to get into that and find out why exactly people aren't looking for those. Is because they're so aggressive? Because you can't just take a picture no. of one and the, the thing wanders away. This one will like charge you and then tear your arms off and stuff and beat you and your friends with them. You know, I. I think I personally think that it's just because the United States is fairly safe. We have bears and mountain lions. And other than that, there's not, I mean, wolves, I guess, right? But other than that, there's not Windigos. much that's going to knock Wendigos, right? Fresno Nightcrawlers. Oh, the scariest. Oh, um, pedestrians. <laughs> yeah. But let's be honest, it's nothing compared to. Um, to uh, the well, stuff that could be found in Vietnam, man. It can't be that bad because people live there. Yeah, but I mean, <laughs> let's, let's go. Let's go take a bunch of uh, you know, you know, people from America, you know, our age, and throw them in the middle of the jungle in Vietnam. I mean, we'd be dead in thirty minutes. I just want to. I would rot in thirty minutes. I'd be dead by hour. a fucking tribe. Just think <laughs> about how terrified people are, like. I know so many people personally who refuse to go to Australia just because of spiders. 
Yeah, well, they're like weenies. Well, yeah, but you're never gonna find anything if you're scared of spiders. The same kind of idea, though. Like, I wouldn't want to see a spider this big, the size of my face. I would. I pick it up and throw it at my buddy. I would not. I would. I would burn the house down. I throw. If we went on an expedition to freaking Australia, Jeremy, you're scared. You're scared of snakes. But I take a spider and I throw it right into his hair. Oh my gosh! Imagine this giant thing latched onto the back of your head and your neck. Like a face hugger from. From Gross. Man, I'd pick that no, thing up like a, like a like a freaking baseball glove and just huck it at somebody. <laughs> Spiders aren't necessarily scary, but they're 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 just gross. Okay? Something that big like scary. Them. Yeah, I, I'd do it for science just to see what <laughs> someone else would do if they landed Jeffrey on their head. Jeffrey is trying to say something. <laughs> I was just gonna say I think that we should do a rock ape episode because I have uh, one of my things that I enjoy doing in my free time is listening to not only other podcasts, but I'm big into listening to like stories from like Mac V Sog, right? Like the mm-hmm. special forces guys mm-hmm. in Vietnam. Right. So I, I'm always listening to those guys tell stories and those guys were in the deepest parts of the jungle over there for weeks at a time doing secret operations, right. That are now declassified. So they talk about it on, mm-hmm. on all kinds of shows. I've never once heard one of these guys talk about any upright walking hominids in their stories. They're still and classified. Would, ask them would, about it. Ask well, them. I'm just, you're not wrong. I've never heard anybody ask about it, but these guys go in depth about these stories, right? Like I've heard hundreds of them and it's just like, yeah. you would think that they would have run into one of these things and that they would be talking about it at some point somewhere. And I, like, I've never heard it. So I mean, it also could have been in the areas that they weren't in. I mean, this war took place in the country of Vietnam. Not like bro, those guys were everywhere. It no, also could it. have been like the amount of like I mean, they were doing secret ops, so they're being super quiet versus the other people that were, you know, going out, pissing on trees, you know, being loud and obnoxious, throwing grenades well, that's what everywhere. I'm saying like a, a semi intelligent you know, a, a semi intelligent upright walking hominid would not want to go near like 300 dudes that just got dropped off by helicopters with explosions and gunfire. Like they wouldn't go near that, but you might trip up on some Mac V song dudes who are walking through the jungle, like freaking ninjas. Yeah, I I agree. You guys just keep talking. I have to find this. This is some hilarious shit that, that, uh, I agree. I agree with you, Jeff. And that's why I'm saying like, why aren't we, you know, if they're so plentiful, why don't you see shows all over the place i mean shoot i saw some some guy that likes to trip on mushrooms um freaking rolling into the amazon to go look for the dinosaur there i mean if people are willing to do that and you know there's still stories of like apparently tribes that you know kill people and all sorts of stuff or just people that just don't like to be messed with i mean and all over the world people go over there to discover new animals and all kinds of stuff. I, I don't see why people aren't going over there to discover the rock ape if they're so plentiful that it's not like a once in a while thing. This was a all the time occurrence. It's like, all right, well then get your butts over there and go take a few pictures and bring back a body and don't give it to the Smithsonian because they already have one. Okay, yeah. <laughs> I have For to sure. read a an excerpt from uh, Huevelman's um Neanderthal, the strange saga of the Minnesota Iceman. This is on page 133. Uh, the chapter is called Cloak and Dagger, about halfway down. Just going to read the paragraph word for word because this is pretty funny. 
Make it snappy. It's my bedtime. <laughs> anyway, if such an incident could have happened once in that region, it might have happened again. The guerrilla warfare dis- disturbed the most secret hideouts of the Indochina's hairy wildman. The raining bombs and rockets, flamethrowers, grenades, and machine guns must have terrorized those innocent savages. Talking about the rockets here. Perhaps it happened that while fleeing some terrors, they might have run into the arms of equally hostile and ferocious invaders. Perhaps sometimes they approached, carefully curious, the encampments of those terrible green men with polished helmets falling from the skies, suspended from enormous white mushrooms and spitting fire from their monstrous black sex organs. And sometimes, perhaps, in spite of their extreme care, they were seen by these undesirable Martians and either killed or captured. Their helmets were polished. Anyway, um, <laughs> we're going to wear the, this tactical green because we're in the jungle, but we're going to polish our helmets so it causes a reflection. Um, <laughs> okay, so he's not, he's not an expert on Vietnam, but still. <laughs> I thought it was pretty funny. Doesn't sound like it. Doesn't sound like it, and I did. I don't remember seeing Mel Gibson killing any of these things in Winter <laughs> Soldiers. There it is. They were running from. They they were on the outside. When the helicopter goes up, you can see him like on the other side of the hill. Oh, going down. okay, yeah. I got, okay, I missed that. Yeah. No, no, I think that's debunked. If it wasn't, it's done. Anyways, yeah. so damn man, I thought we were gonna have a better conversation at the end about this. All right, so Rock Apes will be on the docket at some point. I think that would be a good thing to cover. Mm-hmm. Dive in, do some rock ape stuff. Jeff will reach out to his the people that he uh, listens to and see if they have any stories. Oh, I'll get some Mac V guys on here. Don't you worry about that. Yeah, do it, do it, dude. I don't know. I just said that. I probably can't, but I'll try. <laughs> Look, when I was uh, when I was younger and I was hanging out in the VFW post with Grandpa and stuff like that, the guys there that were in Vietnam and were in Korea and stuff, did not hesitate to talk about, you know, not them personally, but seeing people walking around with necklaces made out of human thumbs and stuff like that. You know, people that went crazy and were collecting, like, war souvenirs of, from dead bodies. So, I mean, if you ask one of these guys about if they saw a rock ape, I don't think that they're going to be like, oh, I don't know. Should I tell them about that sort of stuff? You know, it's just like they're going to be like, yeah, yeah. or just no. saying, you know, they, there some... was some sick shit. <laughs> I'm just saying, but that's some serious serial killer vibes. Oh, just, yeah. No, just for throwing sure. that out there. No, You're absolutely. wearing a thumb on a necklace. Well, the, the thing You're was, is that serial killer. <laughs> the thing was that a lot of people like that, um, you know, if, if you view your enemy as less than human or that you hate them, it makes it easier to do war atrocities like that. And there's a lot of that sort of stuff in in those wars, a lot of Very drug addictions and, and crazy type stuff. You know, a lot of yeah. people that were drafted that didn't want to go in and that were just going crazy and stuff, you know, and that it caused a lot of issues. But yeah, I can't imagine that they would be, you know, talking about that or people would be you know boasting about you know their their war activities and then you ask them a question about a rock ape and they're gonna be like oh i don't know if i should say anything you know so it's like i don't know we can take this stuff out oh we'll leave it all right. um all right not Anybody everyone have 
some people. <laughs> Anybody have anything else to say? Nope. All right. It's all well, fake. <laughs> yep. Well, that, that has been another episode of the Infinite Rabbit Hole Podcast. Thank you for joining us. Next time, we will be jumping into our 100th episode topic to be determined. Not to, not, not to be determined. To be announced. We'll go with that. To be announced. Mm. Episode 100. Right here. Same time. Same place. Thank you, everybody. And we'll see you on the next path of the Infinite Rabbit Hole. Bye. 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 Bye.